what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. I am a co-founder and co-director of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. And with me is Chris Fry, as you may be able to guess, <laughs> the other co in those co-titles with the Foot Candle Film Society, Foot Candle Film Festival. Chris, how are you doing? I am doing well. I'm looking forward to uh, visiting our top films of 2021, kind of putting a bow on it and uh, looking forward to 2022. Yeah. So Chris just kind of ruined the, the surprise there. Uh-oh. Yes. That's what, that's what today's episode <laughs> is, is we will be in a little bit, we will be reviewing or giving a recap of 2021 as a year of movies. And we'll be talking about our top five films of 2021, as well as some other things in there, like our biggest surprise Maybe our biggest disappointment from the year. And then also look a little bit ahead into 2022 as to something that we're anticipating this coming year. But before we do all of that, and that will be happening later in the show, we've got a review to do first. And it is a review that uh, I guess you could say is a long time in the making. Uh, it is the review of the latest installment of the Matrix uh, saga. A good, how many years has it been since the last one? I think I saw something where it was like 14, maybe? The 14 years since the last installment. Uh, one of the Wachowski sisters has come back to make this film. And we'll be talking, of course, as you can probably figure out, The Matrix Resurrection, starring Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss. And then we'll be following it up with all of our best of 2021 recap. So, Chris, are we ready to talk some Matrix? Let's do it. Let's All take right. the red pill, right? That's the <laughs> yep. one we're supposed to the take. The red one's okay. the one we're supposed, supposed to, take to take to enjoy this movie. <laughs> okay. Yes. Here we go. Thomas, you seem particularly triggered right now. Can you tell me what happened? I've had dreams that weren't just dreams. Crazy. We don't use that word in here. Nothing comforts anxiety like a little nostalgia. This is a line of dialogue from The Matrix Resurrections. While doing press for the new film, director Lana Wachowski has said, and I'll quote here, My dad died. Then this friend died. Then my mom died. I didn't really know how to process that kind of grief. I hadn't experienced it that closely. You know their lives are going to end, and yet it was still really hard. My brain has always reached into my imagination, and one night I was crying. I couldn't sleep. My brain exploded this whole story, and I couldn't have my mom and dad. Yet suddenly I had Neo and Trinity, arguably the two most important characters in my life. It was immediately comforting to have these two characters alive again. And it's super simple. 
you can look at it and say, okay, these two people die and okay, bring these two people back to life. And oh, doesn't that feel good? Yeah, it did. It's that simple. And this is what art does. And that's what stories do. They comfort us. Alan, how did this sequel work for you? And did it come across as art or simply nostalgia for the previous films? And if so, was that okay? That is a very, very difficult question for me to answer with this film because I see this film in one of two lenses as I watched it. I really found myself of two minds watching it. So red pill, blue pill. A little bit. And honestly, I mean, the film even kind of works format wise in that arrangement too. There is this film. I think I'm going to go ahead and say the first 45 minutes of this film, I am utterly entranced Hmm. because of the choices that were made of how they're going to present this fourth matrix movie in relation to the previous trilogy. Gotcha. And I thought it was brilliant. I am ecstatic watching the first ah, 40, 30, 40 minutes of this film Okay. because, and I don't want to spoil things on it, but just say it takes a very, meta approach to the matrix. It reframes or tries to reframe how you think about the matrix as a, as an entity, as a commercial franchise and and so forth. And I loved it. I loved what they were exploring, but then the movie decides, no, okay, that was fun for a little while. We kind of messed with your brain a little bit, but no, this is pretty much a matrix movie and we're going to finish out the film in that way. Now, so I was, uh, it, it did explore where I, I did find myself getting disappointed that the film didn't decide to embrace the, I think, inventiveness that it did in the first part of it. But I will say, I thought even the latter half was a pretty good Matrix movie, is a pretty good Matrix story. There was a lot of rehashing, there was a lot of nostalgia clips. Now, there are some moments, there's some groaners of some things that they obviously were, you know, linking back to past movies. But I still found overall they did enough interesting and creative with this installment to make it noteworthy. I will say I enjoyed this one far more than the two sequels to the original matrix did not enjoy it as much as the original matrix. That's still one of my favorite movies. I top 20, 25 films up there. So it's somewhere in that gray area in the middle, but uh, I will say I had a good time with it. I just wish they had taken the conceit and the inventiveness I saw in that first 45 minutes and done more with it throughout the film. Um, that being said, Chris, I'm really anxious to hear your thoughts. What did you think of this? So I, I think I'm a little bit of an outlier, I guess, in that the original matrix, I, I saw it, I appreciate it for the effects, but a lot of the, you know, a lot of the stuff that was supposed to make you scratch your head or get in deep, I thought was just kind of baloney. Mm. <laughs> but I appreciated, I appreciated the the effects and like the the surface ideas that were there. But then when they tried to go deeper, it's just like they got convoluted for convoluted sake. And mm. then the second and third sequel kind of like, well, okay. Well, yeah, the <laughs> second third, right? The second third movies were just they took what was I thought could have been a very I hate saying the Matrix a simple idea because it was a fairly complex idea. Gotcha. But they took this concept and said, all right, let's really explore it and dig deep. And it wasn't a concept that I felt like needed to be explored and dig dug any deeper. That's where I think the two others failed for me. Um, but I think this film actually kind of recognizes that a little bit. Right. It's when it leans back into those things later in the film is where I think it loses some some points. And I think you and I are pretty much on the same page. I'll say that I guess where we may diverge a little bit is 
because of the first 45 minutes and how that's structured, I actually appreciated this more than the first matrix okay. because it was trying to do something. It was topping itself in that one respect of kind of a meta level, like yeah. you said. And not that the first film does have some metal, like what's real, what's not real, take the pill. But this was like, it was taking it to kind of another, a little bit more removed. Um, I mean, they mentioned Warner brothers, the company at one point <laughs> yeah. um, with that there again, without getting too spoilery, but I feel like if you're interested in this movie, You've probably seen it by now because mm-hmm. <laughs> it is on HBO Max as well as in theater. Um, so that's why I think I am kind of strange in that I like this sequel better. And the fact that, you know, when you go to movies, you kind of think you know what you're expecting. Like you mentioned, this is the fourth film. I I rolled that they were even bothering doing it. And the fact that they were able to pull off this first 45 minutes and actually really surprised me. I was like, wow, okay. That made me forgive the the rest of the film because yeah they do kind of fall back into some you know traditional matrix type stuff but then i i began to think about it in the other movies the the apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic side of things to me always seemed a little it was kind of boring Mm -hmm. um when they're in when they're in the post-apocalyptic side of things um because a lot of it's cgi with like the squid things going around Mm -hmm. everywhere and it just I don't know. And I'd already had enough of that in the first few movies. So I think the most interesting parts are the matrixy parts. Sure. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. And so therefore I think that's one of the reasons why the first 45 minutes or so you're kind of immersed. And then we go back to kind of that, that post-apocalyptic stuff. And then it just kind of derails itself. But they, I will say the way um, there are two cameo, well not, I guess they're not cameos, but they're supporting actors, uh, Neil Patrick Harris and uh, Jonathan Groff, the characters they play in this, I thought were really interesting. And mm-hmm. the final scene that takes place, I thought was a really nice way of kind of finishing finishing off the franchise, we think, yeah. <laughs> for this fourth movie. I thought that was, it was ultimately satisfying because yeah. it, you know, like you say, it started really strong and then it redeemed itself at the end. And some of the things that happened between Jonathan Groff and Neil Patrick Harris were very satisfying. Yeah. And... Um, if you've seen the trailer or if you've seen the promotional posters and stuff, there are questions about what exactly is going on. And Lawrence Fishburne, spoiler, isn't in this. Um, and I thought all the, and neither is, um, uh, who's the guy who plays Agent Smith? Right. I'm blanking on his name I blanked right the name too, but yes, the... the Elrond from Lord mm, of the Rings. Yes, <laughs> I can't remember right. his name right now. Sorry, dude. Um, but they handle those absences there again in a really... Awesome yeah. way. Yeah. So there's for me Hugo Weaving. Hugo Weaving, thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. No <laughs> um now he won't sue us. Um <laughs> it was so much more satisfying and creative than I ever imagined it would be. Yeah. For being a fourth film in a franchise. And actually, I have to say, if we could, you know, give it an award, I don't know that there's been a fourth film in a franchise that's ever managed quite this level of Creativity. I mean, I guess you could look at like the Star Wars films, but I have to really tear those apart or yeah. like the Marvel films. But like as far as a single, because yeah. I don't think Marvel really, because you've got all these different characters yeah, and storylines. So you'd have to way. do like, you'd have to compare it to, I guess, Star Wars. But still, this really was able to do some things that I just didn't think mm-hmm. possible, especially after the third film. You feel like, okay, they've kind of, you know, they kind of made the second and third film and kind of split it into two parts. And, you know, they released, was it 
less than a year after each other mm-hmm. the way they did. I think they were back to back years on that. Yeah, yeah. So it just, you know, it's like, okay, they are, they are out of ideas. This mm-hmm. is, this is it, you know? Um, so to be able to come back for this, um, and I have to say the reason I included that, um, introduction that I did, because I thought it was a really interesting way, you know, you can see this as just an action movie or, you know, you can see, see it as some meadow, you know, gymnastics for your meta, not meadow. That's my daughter. Um, <laughs> meta gymnastics for your brain to do. Or, you know, you can also look at it through the lens that apparently the writer director was looking at it through like ways of dealing with grief. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, yeah. And I'll kind of sandwich this in there. Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss stepping back into the roles 14, I guess we think 14 years later, Neo and Trinity. I felt like they like, it was like they'd never left. Yeah. I thought it was great. And I think that's just a testament to, I'm assuming how much they like playing these characters. Otherwise they wouldn't have come back and how just really comfortable they are doing it. And I just really, I was really impressed with that aspect. Well, the scenes again, not getting into spoiler, but there are some of the initial scenes when they, are together right. for the first time in this film. We're really, you could just, I, I felt like you could just feel the the chemistry locking back in pretty easily, even though it's under some very unique situations that they find themselves when they first meet in the film. So uh, yeah, I agree. I agree with you on everything you just said. Thought very inventive. I thought, like you said, the replacement of characters from the original trilogy with different actors done in a way that was extremely creative and inventive. And it kind of, you will find yourself guessing through the film, kind of what was going to be the case. And then when you did find out it was very different and unique. Um, all of that was great. I want to throw out some kudos as well. Um, Jessica Henwick playing bugs, who oh. is like kind of our liaison to this new phase of the matrix world. And right. uh, she was great. I thought she was a really, really good character and a clever name, clever name. Yeah. <laughs> bugs. And, uh, but she was great, not only uh, the physicality of the role and uh, the action scenes she did, but even just the moments where she's having to be kind of, uh, you know, the Keanu Reeves, Neo's kind of liaison to understanding what's happening now. And it was just great. So yeah. she she was really, really good. And the backstory they give her, not mm-hmm. and it's not labor, but it's just right. kind of like a point that they mention. You're like, okay, yeah, I get that. Totally get that. <laughs> yep. so, yeah. You mentioned Jonathan Goff, kind of, uh, again, not going to spoil what role he's playing, but just to say he plays a pretty critical role. And there's a fight sequence between uh, Keanu Reeves and uh, Jonathan Goff. I thought it was really great. Yes. Kind of this very very intense raw fight mm-hmm. and uh, was really well done, well shot and, and, and well choreographed listeners. If you're not familiar with him, you will be familiar with him. When I mentioned he's the guy in mine hunter and also uh, oh, he right. played King George and Hamilton. So you've definitely seen his face around and yeah. he was just, he was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. I, I, the, where, where the movie I thought lost some steam for me is kind of in a middle section where we start to get dip back in that mythology and, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, I oh, guess that's man. not a spoiler, but she returns and she was a character from the two sequels that were part of those films. I did not enjoy. And Kurt, unfortunately yeah. this is the part of the film I did not enjoy here either. Not um, nodding my head with you. Yeah. On it was just, that part was starting at that moment in the film. I'm starting to find myself saying, up, oh, uh, here we are back again. We're back in the sequel category and I'm not happy, but the film does redeem itself. I think with a really great, final uh, action sequence, final kind of, there's some drama involved with the two main characters and, 
it worked, you know, by the end. Um, what I will say, I, what I like about this, and I don't think this is a spoiler, but I love the fact that this ultimately is not really a film or story about Neo. That's it actually focuses on true. another character that I think gets more as of a conclusion as a character and more uh, higher priority in the matrix universe. I'm, Okay. I'm looking at you trying to make sure you are on the same page, but I think I know what you're there's you're someone in the last frame of the film that we see alongside Neo that I think oh yeah. This okay. is really their their film by the end. I think sure. them having to kind of make a, a a decision and a realization and 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 anyway. Yeah. They come out being a much more strong, powerful character than I think even the person we think is going to be the main character of the film. Uh, that's just my take on it, but I, I liked how that ended. Sure. I really did. So, um, you know, the effects in the film, visual effects, I thought were pretty much on par with what we saw, like in the original films, wasn't anything too revolutionary change from those. Um, they take, you know, if you're wondering, they take the concept of the bullet time, bullet time. They, from the original and they change it. And it was, it's not a revolutionary change, but it was an interesting change to it. And I, I like that they kind of referenced that that is a, oh yes, that was a big technology and we're doing something different with it now. And it worked for the most part. And there was nothing here that people are going to be like raving about from a special effects standpoint years from now, like they did with the original matrix as much. Right. Um, but I still think they did a, a good job with it. Um, and you know what? Let me just mention Keanu Reeves. Um, okay. I think I've gone on record saying that, look, I, I get it. Keanu Reeves is not <laughs> the best actor. But when he has a role that fits him really well and he knows how to play it, he's really, really good. <laughs> this is that role. Gotcha. <laughs> so it is, this is Keanu Reeves' role. And, uh, you know. This and John Wick. Yeah, and I could see a lot of, I mean, you could kind of blend a lot between those two well, characters. Yeah. There's a lot, of the, a lot of the reasons that those two characters work are very similar to each other. And uh, I think right up Keanu's uh, Avenue, um, the movie causes him, I think to stretch a little bit in some places and it may be or may not have worked as much for me, but interesting. See, I think it, it did, did there's some, really, uh, yeah, there's okay. some coffee shop scenes that I found to be really good. And yeah. that may be some of the stretching you're talking about, but it, it worked for me maybe because the person he was paired with in that scene was, maybe up to the challenge or yeah. maybe more capable of pulling it could off. Be, but I know they, they, it worked well. Okay. I guess. All I'll right. Say. Well, good. Something, something I want to ask mm -hmm. you if you, if you noticed mm -hmm. and if you didn't, that's fine. But if you did, I wonder just your thoughts on it. Um, Trinity and Neo don't fire guns in this movie. Yes. I noticed that. Um, now there is a lot of gunplay. Oh, but yes. not from the two of them, which, you know, We've had a lot of gun violence in movies. The Matrix, yeah. the original one, you know, as you mentioned, one of the big things was bullet time and all this, you know. Um, and the sequels had gun violence. Um, I thought it was really interesting that they they just did like karate and like force moves type stuff, but they didn't they didn't shoot um, yeah. guns. And I thought that you know hard to make an action movie where there are no guns involved. True, unless you're making a karate movie. Well, <laughs> when I look back on the original Matrix, that is the one element of that film that if I go back and revisit, it it's it's somewhat bothersome. Sure. The amount of guns and and uh, being used. Now you could argue and say, well, all the gunplay is in the Matrix, and the Matrix is not real, and right. the people that they're shooting and killing are not real people. Well, 
technically, if you look at the way the story is structured, I mean, they are people. And if you die in the matrix, you're, you die die in the real. So there is some of that insinuation. Um, that's always been a little more bothersome. I know it was super cool. The long trench coats and the shooting guns in the first movie. Unfortunately, (laughs) it's taken a life of its own in our culture and it's, it's, you can look back now and it's, it's very damaging. I think I thought it was interesting. They mocked the sunglasses. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think this movie, I think is a little realization of that. I mean, again, there's a lot of guns and there's a lot of firing of guns, but the two characters that we're supposed to be following and kind of idolizing, I guess, if you're, if you're a fan of the film, don't fire a single one. And I thought that was really creative, the use of their abilities in that final sequence. Um, And I think for the movie, you know, we've mentioned things we admired about it. And that's something else that I'd heard about going in. I'd heard somebody just mention that, 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 and then I had that awareness as I was watching the film that they bothered to try to do that. Yeah. It's like, well, okay. I, you know, I, w- I was glad they, they bothered to at least try. I think yeah. it would have been strange to take guns out completely where all well, of a sudden you don't see it. It would almost be too ob- obvious, obvious that that's what they're sure. doing. But, um, I think having our two main characters not wield guns, was a statement. And I think it was a, a, an acknowledgement of saying, we don't have to have our heroes be the gun touting uh, people to win this thing. Right. And uh, I, I admired that. I thought that was a good move. Um, overall. Yeah. Matrix resurrections. I liked a lot. I'm actually kind of anxious to watch it again. Now kind of knowing where the story is going to go, I might be able to kind of hone in on a few things that worked really well or not uh, the next time around. But Overall, again, I did love that first 30 to 45 minutes. I thought it's it was exhilarating. Um, it did let me down midway through the film. It ultimately redeemed itself in the end, I think, with a really well done set piece and, and uh, nice conclusion. So overall, I'm, I'm happy with the film. I'm giving it a very positive review with a couple misgivings. I, I man, I would have loved it if they could have stuck to that the premise somehow in that first 30 45 minutes and Which, just yeah. let that roll right. somehow and make it still an exciting interesting film. I don't know. I guess trying to think how you would even do it. I don't know how you would do it, but it would have been it would have been pretty wild. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's it's the difference, you know, I gave like I gave the original Matrix is probably heresy to a lot. I gave that 3 stars. I gave this three and a half. So I I do like it better. But if like you're saying they had been able somehow, which I realize very difficult, especially fourth film in a franchise to maintain that momentum of the first 45 minutes for the entire runtime of the film, this would probably be a five star (laughs) because there's just, that would have blown my mind. If you handle it as a deconstruction of the previous trilogy films and a, a meta commentary on what happened in those films and, and, that's what was fascinating with, yeah. with what they were doing with this again, but they kind of rightfully so to make the, I mean, the way they wrote the story, yes, you have to abandon that conceit halfway through to make the rest work. But could they have found a way, could there be a really good story where you just continue that conceit? Ah, I, it would have been really cool. It would have <laughs> been very, very cool. Agreed. Well, that is the matrix resurrection. Sounds like Chris and I are both positive on it. I'm maybe a little more positive, but that's only because I like the original so much more and, uh, was, was happy to see this. It, it restored a little of my faith in what the matrix fran- film franchise can be. Now I will say this movie's not doing too hot, like box office, which wise. I'm uh, kind of surprised. surprised. Yeah. yeah. Because like, I think yeah. just too much time's passed. Okay. I think it's a little bit more of a, 
I think people are maybe I, I could see people being a little burnt out on some of the nostalgia cash grabs that have come out in the last year mm-hmm. and seeing nostalgia this cash grab for Spider-Man no way home, but somehow well, this, but that has the whole Marvel universe behind it. So yeah, that's a whole but different you're talking game. About being burned out. I, like, well, I take that back. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Cause Ghostbusters actually did better than expected. And it's all nostalgia. That's all that film is. So mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe may I don't know what it was. I don't know what the situation is. Of course, being on HBO max, they don't really release numbers, right? This could be a film that, Everybody decided to watch on HBO Max instead of going to the theater. I don't know. But whether or not we get more Matrix films, supposedly Lana Wachowski has said that there's no more. Like, that was it. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, I would be totally fine with that being a a nice revival for one film and leave it at that. So, All right. Well, that is Matrix Resurrections. It is, as we mentioned, still playing in some theaters. Uh, but also on HBO Max. I think it like supposed to be on HBO Max for a month after its premiere. Okay. If I remember correctly. So you so may have it till like the end of January, January. or so. Uh, but Chris and I are both saying, yeah, it's worth checking out, especially if you are a fan of the original movies. This is definitely a worthwhile installment, in our opinion, of that franchise. Okay, Chris. This is the fun top. Uh, we're done with the review. Got you. Is that officially us putting a bow on 2021? Like as far as reviews go, as far as films and discussions, I do believe it is. So with that being said, how about let's do this. We're going to take a quick little break. Okay. Come back and we're going to do our best of 2021 best films. Each of us have our top five best films of the year. See if there's any overlap at all, or if we're going to be uh, completely unique choices. Then uh, our biggest surprise, our biggest disappointment, and our most anticipated film of 2022. I'll come up in just a moment. Stay tuned. This is Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit TheJacksonCreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. Chris Fry and Alan Jackson here with you. We just had our review of The Matrix Resurrections, that being our last review of 2021 films. So now it's time to give our look back and give our top films of the year as we're now in 2022. Chris, we do this every year. We always look back at the past year and we put together our list. It's typically like our, our top five or so films that we like to call attention to. And uh, then we also have a couple of the categories we'll go into in a little bit. But let's go ahead and jump right into this. Uh, let's set this up a little bit. Sure. You, you, you told me off, off air there's a couple films and I've got a couple as well that you had not seen at the time of making this list. So let's go ahead and kind of clear those out in case anybody hears our list and says, Oh, why wasn't this film mentioned? And well, this may be because there's, we didn't get to catch every film that, that came out. Yeah. It's hard, um, hard to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So Chris, what are some ones that you did not see at the time of this list? So all of my, there, I'm going to list uh, three films and all of them are foreign films. And so I guess, you know, at the end of the year, you get dumped DVD screeners. If you're a critic, which we, you and I are, and uh, a lot of times you just, like you said, there's just so many films to catch up on. Some fall by the wayside. So for me, they just all happen to be foreign films. Mm-hmm. And they are uh, Petite Maman, which was by uh, Celine Siama, who did Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Mm-hmm. Um, Asgar Farhadi's A Hero, which I also wanted to see. And then there was uh, Pedro Almodovar's Parallel Mothers. 
all three of those I've heard, had heard, unfortunately, like I didn't start hearing good things about them until I already had too many (laughs) movies to catch up on. And I was like, Mm -hmm. ah, so I, I really feel like, um, I'll say, and the only one I have caught up with since I made the list, our top, my top five list, is uh, Petite Maman, and mm. that was really good. Okay, um, and I'm not going to spoil anything about it. Um, but Would it, was, it have made your top five if you had kind of calculated it in? Maybe, maybe, oh, uh, maybe okay. it would have definitely made my top ten. Um, oh, but it, I would have knocked in the top five very, very possibly. Okay, um, I liked Portrait of Lady on Fire. But for her to follow that up with this completely different type of film, um, yeah, just really admirable. Interesting. So um, I don't think it is actually, I guess one of the other reasons is, as well as Parallel Mothers, did festivals and I think was only made like some big cities. So I don't think it's been wide released yet. Either one of those has been wide released yet. So that's probably why the awareness wasn't quite on my radar. Mm-hmm. So 2022, we'll probably be able to catch up with these uh, films a lot easier because okay. they'll be wide released. Well, I will add to that and say that, yes, those that you mentioned, I have not seen as well. The other two I'll add to the list, uh, The Lost Daughter, uh, okay. that was the one uh, directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal, mm-hmm. have not seen, and The Tragedy of Macbeth, the one that's the, uh, is it Joel Cohn that yes. did this one? Mm-hmm. With Denzel Washington. And his uh, wife, Frances McDormand. And Frances McDormand, uh, I have not caught up with. So, that's that's two that I, I have to go ahead and give my disclaimer and say I've not seen. And the good thing about those is um, Apple Plus has the Macbeth mm-hmm. update, and then Netflix, Netflix has, has Lost, Lost Daughter, Daughter now. So, so really, you're saying really there's easy. no excuse for me not to have well, seen. Well, no, them. they were released. They were released <laughs> know, they were later. later. So yeah. yeah, it's like, but at least you know, for those listening, if you yeah. want to catch up on them, it's going to be really easy. Whereas mine, some of them you're still not going to be able to see yet. Yeah. So, so that's uh, that's the two I wanted to add to my to your list as well of ones that we just have not caught up with. So. Uh, given that, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and talk about our top five. How about let's do this, Chris? Let's count from five up to one. Sounds good. And let's go ping pong back and forth. So, okay. uh, Chris, why don't you tell me your number five film of 2021? So, my number five film of 2021, we reviewed here on the show. We actually showed it as one of our foot candle screenings here in Hickory, North Carolina. Um, it is Nine Days, which uh, I wrote on Letterboxd. It was kind of my take on it was there was a live action uh, soul for adults that Pixar movie soul. Um, there's a sequence in there. There's several sequences in the film that I thought were just really imaginative. And one that I called out, I think are in our review uh, was a bike ride experience. And that was just like a really cinematic moment from 2021 that I look back on. I'm just like, yeah, that it's stuck with me. And that's, you know, mm-hmm. top five. It's like, yeah, there are tons of good movies, but to narrow the list down to five, it's like, okay, what about the movie has stuck with me? And just, you know, and this also is my, um, the director, this was his first like feature film mm-hmm. debut. The director's Edson Oda. So I'm really excited about what may come next from this person. Cause you're like, that's awesome that their first film out of the gate, granted done some short films, but like, was this good? So um, Winston Duke is kind of the central character in here. And for me to get to see him, you know, he was in Black Panther, he was in Us, but he's a central character in this film. And it was really good to see him get to, you know, spread his wings and really do some work. There's a monologue that he has towards the end of the film where he really shows his stuff. So uh, my number five, Nine Days. And I think now it's pretty widely available. I think you can rent it and stuff places if you want to check it out. Good. Good choice. Number five for Chris is nine days. 
All right. Uh, my number five film of 2021 is Cyrano. Uh, it's not one that we have reviewed on the show yet, I don't believe. Did we review it? We have not. And I think the release... Yeah, it's still... Is it a, is it a 2020... I mean, you know, these things are so irritating. It's, a, it's, it's, it's eligible for 2021 consideration. Absolutely. So and that's I what think I'm saying. it hit festivals, but I don't know if it was released. It's wide release, I think comes out late January. I believe you're so, right. So the good news is, is that, you know, it is a 2021 film, but people won't be able to have a chance to see it until after even they've heard this show. So, right. which is good. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Cyrano is my number five film of last year, which you will get to experience here in this year. Uh, yeah, I know. It gets really confusing. Well, and I, that. I've, side note, I think a lot, the confusion is there every year. Yeah. But I feel like release schedules and pandemic oh, only yeah. made this worse. It's definitely made it challenging. <laughs> so, Regardless, I'll right. say Cyrano. Uh, it is a telling of the Cyrano de Bergerac story directed by Joe Wright. You may know Joe Wright from uh, Pride and Prejudice, Atonement. Um, gosh, it was something else he did. What did he do? I already forgot. Okay. Well, those are the Pride and Prejudice the two big ones. are the two big ones you can forget because I would. Um, the Woman in the Window, which yes. came out on Netflix. And that with was, Adams. that's what's really funny is that was the last film he did before this one, which yes. we watched. And I mean, granted, I thought it was had a, a kind of a schlocky. I, I didn't hate it as much as everybody online did. <laughs> I thought there was something, something to it. Uh, but it was definitely not what I would have expected from him as a director. Agreed. Um, Cyrano uh, stars Peter Dinklage as Cyrano. And what I love about this film, well, there's several things I loved about it. One, his performance. He's really good in this. Mm -hmm. And they take the Cyrano de Bergerac story, which the original story is, I think, you know, that Cyrano had a really large nose. And that was kind of implied that that was the reason why he couldn't find true love because people found him hideous. Well, they flipped in and said, oh, well, let's Peter Dinklage playing a person of miniature stature. And that's going to be what we're going to kind of hone in on. That's why he thinks people could not love him. And he has to excel and be uh, a bigger figure in the world of uh, writing and uh, theater and all because of that. And then you have Haley Bennett as Roxanne, kind of the attention of his love. Um, it's the, very much the story. I mean, yeah, probably most people are most familiar with the story from the Steve Martin version of sure. it, Roxanne. But um, I, I thought this was a great telling of the story. It is a musical, which we had quite a lot of musicals in 2021. Uh, the music is written by members of the band, The National. And you have both some original songs and some kind of reworked songs from, I think, the original stage play or original production of Cyrano. All worked together. Um, it just worked for me. It just all top to bottom worked for me. Kelvin Harrison Jr. as Christian, the one that Cyrano basically does the writing and speaking for and him trying to win over Roxanne. Um, there are two or three sequences in this film that I think are just wonderful. Um, one in particular, I think Chris, you and I even spoke about, uh, preparing for a battle that's going to be a suicide mission for mm. soldiers and writing letters back to their loved ones at home. So, so well done. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a powerful story and it's played with, with fun at times. It gets very, very, uh, deep and serious others. And, uh, I, I liked everything about it. So I had a really good time. Ben Mendelsohn is in it, uh, kind of playing the quote villain of the film, I guess. So good. Um, yeah. So all top to bottom. I loved all the, the performances in this. And, uh, so that is my number five film of the year. Cyrano did not make my top five, but it did fall in my top 10. And I think 
it is probably my favorite musical in a year that mm. was packed yeah. of musicals 2021. I think it was my my favorite. Yeah. So. No, it's it's just really good. It's it's one I have revisited. It is one I I just find it just charming and enjoyable top to bottom. So plus man, Peter Dinklage, he can do some sword fighting. <laughs> I mean, he really, there was some, some great little sword fights that he got to be a part of. So I enjoyed that. All right, Chris, what's your number four film of the year? So my number four is a film that, um, I believe we will probably see some Oscar love for. I hope um, it won the North Carolina film critics award for best animated feature, which I was happy to see. It is the Mitchells versus the machines. Mm. Um, I believe I recommended this on the podcast a while back when it came out to Netflix. Um, it's from the people that made um, the Lego movie. Some some of the work, people that did the work on that have done mm-hmm. this. And um, I just, I really liked it. Um, it's weird for me, I think, for an animated movie to make my top five. But um, maybe maybe it's not. But, <laughs> but this one at number four just seems to be uh, a good place for it. Um, I think it had a lot to say about family. There's some stuff it says about technology, but it was still, it never got too preachy and it was always, always fun. Um, Hmm. And it has a gag that is in it and it runs throughout the movie. And it's one of my favorite, I guess, like funny things in uh, 2021. And it's just, I'll leave it. Doesn't make any sense, but watch the movie and it will. Dog, pig, loaf of bread. That's all I'll say. Uh, Watch the movie and you'll, you'll understand that. (laughs) Okay. Mitchell versus the machines. Uh, yeah. Interesting. A a CGI animated film on Chris Fry's top five of the year. Wow. I, I I can't remember that happening. And I, you know, in the past, well, there may have been a Pixar movie that you maybe had in your top list. And the thing is like, that's, what's so exciting for me is I like Pixar films. You know, Mm -hmm. I like them. I don't have a problem with them taking home the Oscar most times. Um, but I'm excited because although I, like I said, I like Pixar films, but it's exciting for me to see someone else, get the kind of attention that a non Pixar animated film is getting. So, um, yeah, I, I hope it wins best yeah. animated feature. So. Okay. Um, all right. So then my number four, um, it's a tough one to talk about, but, uh, it is the film mass, oh, um, wow. which we have not talked about in the show yet, but, uh, mass is the story or tells a story with, with four actors, uh, as they meet to discuss the aftermath of a violent tragedy that affected their lives in different ways. Um, we have in this, uh, it's truly the reason it's so high for me. It's an acting powerhouse. I mean, it is basically four characters in a room for 95% of the running time. Uh, Jason Isaacs and Martha Plimpton star as one couple. Uh, and then you have Ann Dowd and Reed Bernie as the other couple, all four really, really good. I mean, I couldn't, I do think Jason Isaacs probably is the most surprising to me because he's mm-hmm. typically the one you've seen in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and in the Harry Potter Harry movies. Potter and it's just, you know, he's always playing the kind of the villainous character in these sure. franchises for him to play a human being that, uh, of this nature and with this much emotion behind him, I was really surprised by his performance, how, how good he was. The rest of them I expected to be good and they were all very good. Um, it's a tough film to watch and just go ahead and say that. And, and part of it, I'm not trying to treat it like there's a spoiler because, uh, you know, th- not under quite knowing what they're getting together for and the reason they're meeting and what they're going to be talking about is part of the way the movie is, is written to build up the, the drama to where we actually get the conversation. So not even describing what they're getting together to talk about, just know it is around a, 
the very uh, tragedy that has taken place um, and um, has a lot to say about uh, uh, coping with things. It has a lot to say about forgiveness and whether or not forgiveness is warranted and when it's warranted and, and, and how someone who's gone through a tragedy can find themselves into a point of accepting and forgiveness of, of the others around them. It's, um, it's just a really, really good movie powerful movie, tough movie. And just like nine days, you mentioned before, first time writer director on this as well. Uh, the writer, the director is, uh, Fran Krantz, who is an actor. Hmm. Um, done a lot of work as an actor. And as a director, this was the first film he did as a director. And, uh, which I think is amazing. So again, and granted, it's not the flashiest film. It's not meant to be a visually stimulating film. It is truly four people in a room talking, but, still a director has to know you know, how to pull the emotions out of their actors, how to get them to all be able to communicate and talk in the way they do. And, um, to do it in a really effective way, it's, it's a quite a, quite a film experience. So it is in my number four of the year that is mass. And I believe it is, I know it's available online for, I think purchase, maybe close to rental. So people should have a chance to see it now, but again, it is a tough watch. I'm just going to say that it's, um, can be very difficult, especially if you yourself have been through any kind of a, a personal tragedy uh, with members of your family. Um, it could be a tough watch, but it's a very, I think, a rewarding at the end of the day. So, yeah, it's it's a great film. Didn't make my top five, but it is definitely in my top ten. Um, and like you're saying, it's it's tough film, but it's 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 good. Good, yeah. good one to watch. Okay. Chris, what is your number three film of the year? My number three is a film that was originally supposed to come out in 2020. It did not. Uh, it did finally come out in 2021. And I thank every negative review that I saw of this film with people's expectations that had been dashed because I think it helped me enjoy it that much more. Um, it is The French Dispatch by one mm-hmm. Wes Anderson. Um, I... I really liked it. I knew going in that it was going to be a bunch of different stories woven together. And I think, and some of them, I liked all of them. Some of them I liked more than others, but I think having that knowledge going in helped me kind of, you know, well, if you sat there, maybe you weren't as interested in one when it went to the next one, you know, you're, it was, you were pulled up again because your interest reengaged. Um, but I think there are one, two, three, four, five, they're like five different stories, I believe. Um, or maybe four, but anyways, each story to me was at least a three and a half star, but then some became like four and a half stars or five stars. So I, I liked them all. Um, Jeffrey Wright, uh, his performance in the private dining room of the police commissioner is a little segment that he's in, um, gives a really incredible performance that'll probably hope be nominated for best supporting actor mm-hmm. because his work in it was really good. I mean, it was, I think one of the reasons it makes my number three is because it was just kind of reassuring to see a a solid film by a great filmmaker. And it was kind of like cinematic comfort food after 2020 and 20, you know, in the midst of 2021, it was just kind of good to return to something, which sometimes Wes Anderson gets a knock for because people say he makes the same movie over and over again with some of the same cast, which he does use a lot of the same cast. Um, but it was refreshing to kind of return back to that world and just enjoy cinema. And this was one film that I actually did get to make it to the actual movie theater to see, mm-hmm. which I think also helps helped my enjoyment of it. So uh, the French dispatch is my number three. I have watched this film a second time. Oh, okay. To try to see what <laughs> did not work for me the first time. Okay. 
And I still can applaud its creativity. I can still applaud its style and production. I just, I still have a, I have a difficult time with the storytelling process on this. It's just so dense and deep and it's still tough for me. Okay. Um, I, 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 unfortunately I have not been able to go in and watch it and not try to follow story elements as closely. And I think if I could, I'd probably enjoy it for just what I'm able to see and experience on screen. But, um, it's a tough watch. It's a tough watch for me, but I'm glad it made your, your top five for sure. My number three film is David Lowry's The Green Knight. This was also another one that was, I think, supposed to be released in 2020 and came out in 2021. Yeah, it got, Um, yeah, delayed, delayed delayed again. Yeah, sure. Uh, This is the telling of a fantasy retelling of the medieval story of Sir Gawain and The Green Knight. Um, I just, yeah, David Lowry has been kind of hit or miss for me personally. I've liked some of his movies and others it's been hard to get really get into and, and find as appealing for me. But this one, I'm a big medieval storytelling person anyway. So I was really excited about this. Dev Patel starring as uh, Sir Gawain, I think was really, really great in this. The film just does enough with the story to make it really fascinating to watch. Visually, the, the film is beautiful. Um, a lot of care and attention being placed on individual shots and, Moments of things that are foreshadowing what's going to be happening later in the story. Um, and I love the ending as ambiguous. And as maybe I think <laughs> uh, some people have just gotten into arguments about what that sure. last moment and line reading really is supposed to indicate. But I love that. I love that the fact that it's uh, it, it does some in- something interesting with the last, you know, 15, 20 minutes of the film where it kind of, caused you to question how it's going to end and what the overall outcome was. I, I just, I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, Joel Edgerton as the Lord was really surprising for me. He got to play someone with um, a lot of prosthetic makeup and be a lot older character. And I think he was really great. Uh, Alicia Vikander is in this also very double very good. Role double film. role. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Sarita Kachari as the mother of Sir Guywin also really effective and great. So, I loved it. It is, um, yeah, it's, it's a little strange. It's a little different for people who haven't seen it. <laughs> sure. But, um, if you like medieval stories and you also like some really, uh, kind of a creative retelling of those stories, I think, I think that's a, a you'll find something you'll enjoy. And, uh, but it is my number three film of the year, the green Knight. I, I, uh, struggled with the green Knight. I could appreciate the, uh, the filmmaking, but mm-hmm. for me, it was one of those where it f- fell into the, Appreciate it as art, but not as entertainment as okay. much. Um, yeah. I, I I need to give it a second watch mm-hmm. because I I think I I think after I know where the film's going, I can maybe appreciate it more. So sure. we'll we'll see. But uh, yeah, interesting. Good good pick for your third one. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, Chris. So so far, we've had no overlap. I know in um, our films. I'm excited about that. So I'm oh. anxious to see. I, I, I have a gut feeling I know what your number one is, but I don't know your number two. So let's go okay. ahead and roll right into that. Um, I think we're going to begin to have overlap, but maybe not. Um, so my uh, number two is another film by a first-time director, which, hold on a second, let me use Letterboxd, and I will find out his name because I, you know, of course, want to give him credit. Yes, it is uh, Michael Sarnowski, and the film is Pig, and it stars Nicolas Cage, and... 
you would think from watching the trailer that it would be like John Wick meets Babe, but it's not. And that's a good thing. It's a great thing, actually. Um, don't really want to get into a lot of what the movie is, but it does It does actually have a pig in the movie. I, w- I will say that. Yes, there um, is a pig. I liked this film a lot, and I think there again it has a lot to do with going in with not really knowing what to expect, except I had seen the trailer, and then – it's just such a good film, but not at all what I thought it was going to be. So the, it being kind of a cinematic surprise, I guess, helped elevate it to uh, the second slot of my list. And Nicolas Cage, an actor I like, but I never see a film because he's in it. Like, I don't just yeah. say, oh, well, and he makes so many films. and you know. But man, I thought he did a really good job in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully there again, since we're getting close to Oscar time, I hope he gets some, uh, Oscar recognition for it. So that's uh pig, my number two film of 2021 pig. Number two. Um, it will be mentioned later in this discussion. Okay. I'm just gonna leave it at that. I'm just gonna <laughs> leave it to you where in the discussion it is. Okay. Um, but yes, good. That's a good choice. Good choice, Chris. Um, okay. My number two film, we did have overlap. Uh, my uh, number two film is nine days. Okay. Uh, so I'm, I'm also echoing everything you said about nine days. I love it. It was one we saw very early in the year. Technically, I think it's officially like slated as a 2020 film, but it didn't actually get released until 2021, like gotcha. for people to see and at least for us to be able to see it. So it is on my 2021 list. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a beautiful film. It's uh, I've seen it three times now. Um, love it every time. Um, everything you said, I'm not going to belabor the point <laughs> nine days. I, and we'd also talked about it in, in nauseum in our, one of our reviews earlier in an episode last year. So nine days is my number two film of 2021. So Chris, that just leaves our number one films. I really thought pig was your number one. So I'm uh, now I'm very curious. What is your number one film of 2021? And see, this is what's so awesome is we're not going to have any overlap because I know there's no way this is your number one. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah. And I know my number one is not on your list. So, uh, yeah. Okay, awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so my number one is a very odd choice, okay. but consider that I have watched this film five times. Wow. Um, on top of having watched it five times from start to finish. Oh, I know which one this I is. I also uh, have listened to the soundtrack okay. nonstop. Yeah. Um, it is Bo Burnham's Inside. Um, I just, and granted it's, you would say, well, that's a stand up special. Well, not really. Um, I mm. mean, yes, he is a stand up comedian, but it is just him performing in front of a camera to no one. Um, and just what it said about kind of the situation we've been living in for the past two years, the pandemic being isolated, trying to be creative, um, struggling with anxiety and depression. I just, you know, years from now, if somebody asked me, what was it like living through the pandemic? If this is still available on Netflix, I'll be like, here you go. <laughs> and just kind of put that on and let them watch it. Um, because it just, it blew my mind. I think what helps there again, we talked about expectations. I didn't know what I was getting into watching this and I was so blown away. So not for everyone, but for me, it's just the most memorable thing about 2021 cinematic wise was what Bo Burnham was able to do with lights and music in a really small one room, like apartment looking place behind his house. So, uh, yeah, my number one for the year is, uh, Bo Burnham's inside. I don't know why that did not come up on my radar when considering this list. Well, 
People don't consider it. A yeah, penal, and that I, may be yeah. part of it. But you're right. I mean, there's no reason for it not to be on there. I just, yeah, for some reason, it just it just didn't even hit me that that is a a film that was released in 2021. It would not have made my top five, but I'm going to go ahead and add it because we haven't got to our honorable mentions yet. I'm oh, going okay. to add it to my honorable mention because it absolutely is everything you said. It is a great, great piece of work uh, to to appreciate. Um, so it is one of my honorable mentions now. Uh, thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing what is your number one, Alan. Yeah, I mean, I'm, and I'm kind of surprised it's there as well. But it's just if I look at the film that I enjoyed the most, found myself watching again pretty quickly afterwards. And it, I think I even said in our review of this film that it's almost like the writer director just said, "Oh, what does Alan Jackson like in a movie? Talking oh. animals." No, no. To, okay. This one doesn't have <laughs> okay. any talking animals, but that okay. would have been that would have been the best of the decade uh, on my top of my list. Okay. No, it's just it, 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 from the style, the time period, the architecture, the the uh, every, every all the production design involved. Plus, it's huh. a it's a it's a noir type story with oh, some elements. Wow. Of, okay. Yeah, it's Night, Nightmare Alley uh, by Guillermo del Toro. Um, I just I loved it. I thought it was top to bottom, just wildly entertaining, beautiful to look at, uh, had the right tone I was looking for. I love the fact that the film is meant to be- make you believe it's going to be a supernatural story, and it's not. Sure. Um, it's really about the evolution of a man that's, um, you know, finds himself. You know, the whole question, is he man or is he monster? And I think this this film helps explore, well, what is Bradley Cooper's character in this sure. story? I just thought it was a beautiful film. I love every moment of it, every element. It does make a, a change halfway through the film and setting and placement and cast. And at first I was a little misgiving of that. I love the 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 carnival and the whole carnival setting and carnival cast of characters we have in the first half. Gotcha. And you kind of lose a little bit of that in the second half. I did kind of give a little bit of criticism towards that. But I love the second half as the film as well, even though it's like a different story almost. Um Together it works. I just really, really enjoyed this film. And I think it's, unfortunately, I honestly think they did a horrible job marketing this film. And I think that's part of the reason why it did. Well, they did a horrible job of the release of it, putting it up on the same weekend as Spider-Man coming out (laughs) with a marketing campaign that I don't think really worked for the film. It just, it, it bombed really, really bad. Sure. But I'm saying how much I love this film. So, uh, Nightmare Alley is my number one film of the year. I'm just as surprised as you are because <laughs> I looking back and just kind of rating everything. I'm like, no, nah, that's, that's the one that still well, creeps up there for me. We reviewed it on the show and I didn't realize you were as high on it as apparently I think are. it's more in recollection, just kind of going back and looking at it. Um, I will say this. I, I don't think there's been that many films in 2021 where I was just bowled over in love with uh, as much either. I mean, even I look at my top five and yes, nine days, I was I am in I am in love with that film. That is a beautiful film. The Green Knight, I really, really like. Mass and Cyrano, I greatly appreciate, and they are two of my five favorite films of the year. But um, you know, I didn't really have any of the films that just are making my top films of like the decade or gotcha. of all time or anything. Gotcha. Nightmare Alley, though, I think just checks enough boxes for me to say I, I just had such a good time with it. And um I love I love the world they created in this film and all the characters in it. So I'd be happy to, I know there's not really an opportunity to revisit it. There definitely won't be, but I would be totally happy if we could. So <laughs> okay. that's a nightmare alley for me. 
So we only had one overlap, and that was nine days. That's the right. only film that showed up on both our list. It's pretty good. So we basically have a combined list of nine films that we've we've uh, kind of come up with as our best of the year. Not so too shabby. Not too bad at all. Now, honorable mentions. Sure. Can I just hit a couple of these? I did something Absolutely. very intentional also with my top five list, Chris. Okay. If you'll notice, on the top five, and it's the same for you, there are no franchise movies oh well yeah on that list right okay nothing that's yelling out for a sequel nothing that's part of a expanded universe i mean like we said matrix resurrections had they (laughs) it might have ended up in a top five well i i do like the fact that that was the case of our both our top five lists is that these are all very original films either they're adaptations or original uh, written work sure and which is great I will say that my honorable mentions, I've got two franchise films in there because okay. I do feel like I am going to put honorable mention Matrix Resurrections because I oh, did really enjoy okay. the film and think it's a one of the better films we had this year for sure. And I got to put in there Dune uh, as a honorable mention. I, yeah, people can criticize it for being half a film, which is true. It is half a film. Um, but I liked enough of what was happening there. I'm looking forward to exploring this world with the second installment. So I'm giving it an honorable mention. Those two being in my franchise type, uh, gotcha. films I want to recognize. Um, and the, oh, the third one I'll put in the last one. Honorable mention is, uh, I did really like Edgar Wright's last night in Soho. Uh, I know it didn't work for everybody, but I kind of like nightmare alley. i liked the, the time and place that, uh, sure. they, uh, Edgar Wright worked with and created, and I liked that world enough that I, you know, again, I enjoyed spending time there. Um, it did have some issues and, you know, the ending may or may not work for everybody in the, uh, watching the film, but it's enough of an honorable mention for me for the year. So those three, I wanted to throw out along with Bo Burnham's inside, as you mentioned, well, do you have you any know, honorable last mentions? Last night in Soho. Uh, yeah. I'm surprised it's not in my honorable mentions. I, I liked it. Yeah. Um, but I'll just briefly run through. I've already mentioned, um, cause when you mentioned him, you called out mass and Cyrano. Those would definitely be in my honorable mentions. They're in my top 10 of the yeah. year. Um, I'll mention three that have not okay. come up that kind of round out my top 10. And those are the last duel by Ridley mm-hmm. Scott. I right. think it is the preferable Ridley Scott joint <laughs> that came out this year. Not that I, I had a fun time with house of Gucci, but I think last duel is much better. Um, both starring Adam driver. Um, the power of the dog. Yeah. I'm surprised that didn't show up on either of our like top five lists as much love as it's getting from critics. Association. And sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I, I, and I think if I were to revisit power of the dog, that may help it bump up a little bit, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, so it's definitely an honorable mention. It's good. We uh, discussed it here on the show. It's a lot good to say about it. And then the last honorable mention I'll have is uh, drive my car. Okay. Um, which, I think if I were to give it a revisit, I'd probably appreciate it more, but that's going to be tough because the film's like three hours long. It's a long film, <laughs> but, uh, very long. Film. I, 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 I like it. And I'd be surprised if it didn't at least get nominated for uh, best foreign language film. Okay. So that's our honorable mentions for 2021. Now, Chris, let's go on to our kind of our, our final two categories for 2021. This sure. is just one film each. Uh, let's talk first about, Let's get let's get negative a little bit. All right, there had to be. We don't like pointing out worst films of the year. I think that's kind of uh, just not a really good practice uh, for us in general. But there are some films that come up that are disappointments. Not saying that they're necessarily always bad films. Sure. Just disappointments, much lower or less than we wanted it to be 
and we were let down by. So Chris, what was your biggest disappointment of 2021? So um, like you're saying, not that I'm saying this is a bad film because I don't believe it is, but it was, it was my biggest disappointment of 2021. That is uh, Licorice Peach by uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, I could appreciate the first time actors of uh, Cooper Hoffman and Alana Haim. I I thought they were good. Um, The filmmaking that's on display. Yeah. There's some really good filmmaking. There's some interesting cameos by Bradley Cooper and by, um, Sean Penn, but just overall the story and the lightness of it just kind of left me wanting more and not in a good way. Hmm. So I'd say that's my uh, biggest disappointment. Licorice pizza. Interesting. Okay. Well, my disappointment, I I'm, I mean, I think I was pretty harsh on this film when we reviewed it. Uh-oh. <laughs> and it's weird for me to even say that this is a disappointment because it's not like I went into this film expecting greatness. But I think with the director, with what they were trying to do with this franchise. Oh, um, I think I know where you're going. Yeah. It, <laughs> Halloween Kills. Oh, okay. Well, where did you think I was going to go? Well, I thought maybe you were going to slam, which I had thought about doing this, but I was like, no, too easy target. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah, no, it's not quite my biggest disappointment. I did have a lot of issues with that film. But Halloween Kills is the one where it's like, it's David Gordon Green, who I know is a good director and can make some good films. And I was okay with what he did with the original, his original Halloween from a few years ago. Sure. So I was kind of looking forward to these two sequels that were going to be coming out because I thought, okay. I, I hope they kind of play with the format. They try to do something different and they did. It was just so, I felt poorly handled okay. in, in the storytelling, you know, where it's just, Oh, I don't want to get into it again. So many <laughs> just lapses of what I thought made any viable sense for what the story was trying to do. Um, it, it, it was frustrating for me. It was very disappointing. I found myself kind of scratching my head at some decisions that were made and, the way they characterize people in this. I know they were trying to explore this whole idea of, Oh, well maybe it needs to be a community of people that are hunting him down and have like their own issues. And we start to see how that actually makes the community, even themselves monsters. I'm like, okay, I get the theme they're going for. Sure. It was just so, I felt like poorly, poorly handled. And I just walked away very, very distraught and disappointed by it. So I'm not looking forward to the third one which is a shame because I do like David Gordon Green. That'll like be a Halloween ends. Ends, maybe. Um, <laughs> so we'll see. That was my biggest disappointment walking away. Yeah, I'd say okay. Spider-Man No Way Home's probably next. There are moments of that movie I liked towards the end, but I do think writing-wise, it was just a really sloppily written film that uh, tried to do way too much and didn't give any any one aspect of the film enough room to breathe and just I was disappointed a bit, but Halloween kills is probably my bigger disappointment mainly because I I wanted more out of Dave and Gordon green from that film. Fair enough. Now let's flip it and go back positive again. If we can, what was our biggest surprise of the year? And it doesn't have to be a film that we necessarily put in our top five or whatever, just a surprise, a film that really did more for us than we expected or could have possibly expected going into it. Chris, what have you got for biggest so, surprise? So uh, easily for me, it is a uh, West Side Story. Okay. And the reason is uh, we returned to cinemas. I saw this preview over and over and over again. And my wife even commented to me. She's like, you know, the first time I saw the trailer, I was interested. I am so sick of hearing about West Side Story. <laughs> She's like, I don't want to see that. Movie. But we did end up seeing it. 
And it was a nice surprise because it was material that both of us were familiar with. But um, he just did, you know, Spielberg, hey, newsflash, he's a good director. Mm-hmm. And he um, just employed his skills to the max and it made it for an entertaining watch. Um, it also was fun to see some talent that I wasn't familiar with. Uh, Ariana DeBose as Anita, Rachel Ziegler as Maria, Mike Feist as Riff. All three of those just gave really good performances. And so Elgord, you know, as the, you know, the lead there, you know, maybe not as inspiring as Tony, but it, it didn't matter because there was so much other star power going on. And it was, it was a surprise. So not my favorite musical, but you know, of the year, but Hey, it was still really good. And I was surprised that it was as solid as it was. So West Side Story. Okay, good. I will say too. I mean, I, I, I think I gave a mini review of it on the show here. I liked it. I mean, I thought it was well done. Again, I'm not the biggest fan of the story and the sure. source material, but uh, I think given what that is, I think Spielberg did a wonderful job with it. And uh, yeah, no, I, I overall I'm with you. I thought it was a, a fun experience in the film, uh, in the uh, theater these, this year. Um, all right. Well, my biggest surprise, you already mentioned it as your number two film. And it I would have mentioned it as an honorable mention, but I wanted to save it for this category. It is Pig, okay. uh, the Nicolas Cage film. That is one I honestly went into based on all the marketing I saw or people talking about thought, okay, it's just going to be Nicholas cage, uh, fighting through people to get a beloved pig back. And I'm like, all right, I'm just not sure if that's really going to be up my alley. And plus Nicholas cage these days. I mean, yeah, he can be it's just sure. kind of, you really have to roll the dice with what kind of performance or film quality you're going to get it being a first time director, all kind of the movie poster and all that, just everything, nothing worked for me. So I was like, fine, I'll watch this film and came out really, really liking it. Um, cool. Mainly for the reasons you explained, but I think that they take the premise, uh, and do some really interesting things with it. Um, it is not what you expect. True. Uh, the fact that this film actually becomes a, <laughs> indictment of a particular industry um, that you would not expect just kind of reading the description of the film and <laughs> thinking it's going to get into. Right. Uh, I will say this. I'm trying to do this without spoiling too much. Cause I think the less you know about the film, the better going in, there is a scene, Nicholas cage and a former colleague of his sitting at a table, having a discussion about that colleague's uh, path in life and decisions he's made that I thought was really, really good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was That's definitely just, an Oscar clip whew, moment. Yes. Uh, such a good scene. Yeah. And then there's a final, I will say a final dining meal scene that is also really good. So it's just, it's a surprising movie. Yeah. Is there a scene of Nicholas Cage getting beat up by some people in an underground fight club? Uh, yeah, sure there is. So <laughs> if you, if you want that, it's there, right. but there's so much more to this movie outside of that. And I just, uh, Really, really enjoyed it. So Pig is my biggest surprise. Uh, it would have been an honorable mention. Not quite top five for me, but would have been my honorable mention, but I wanted to save it for this category. So Awesome. Yeah. So that is 2021, guys. That was the year looking back. Now, we mentioned that we were thinking about looking forward briefly in a most anticipated film of 2022. Yeah. Alan, I have one. Do you? Do you? Um, 
By the time you tell me yours, <laughs> I might have mine. Okay, I, fair uh, enough. I'm trying to trying to even think through. I, I don't have a good list in front of me of sure all the films coming out in 2022. So I hadn't really. But go ahead. Yes, Chris, what are you the most excited about for 2022 or looking forward to? So you may remember, I think it was 2016, 17. Can't remember exactly, but there was a film starring. Um, what is his name? Uh, Harry Potter boy. Can't remember. Daniel Radcliffe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Harry Potter boy. Um, called Swiss Army Man. Uh, about a corpse that farted? Yes, that's what the movie was about. In a way. Also starring Paul Dano. And it was by a filmmaking team who identified themselves as Daniels because it's Daniel Scheinart and Daniel Kwan. Um, I really liked that movie's originality and just how bizarre it was, but also how it really had something to say and got me a little dusty teary eyed at some points in the film. Well, they are making another film and they, I think they've worked together since then, but this is the first like big collaboration, big film they're doing. It's called everything everywhere all at once. Uh, It's going to be released by a 24 and it is starring Michelle Yeoh as apparently somewhat of a time traveling multiverse person grappling with that. Not really sure. There has been a trailer that has been released and I have not seen it and I do not plan on seeing it, Mm. but I heard that's how I learned about this movie is I saw this buzz on Twitter about this new movie by Daniels starring Michelle Yeoh and people were just like going crazy about it. And I was like, Oh, that sounds awesome. I don't want to watch the trailer. And if I don't see it in a movie theater, maybe I won't see the trailer until the movie comes out. But I am really, 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 really looking forward to everything, everywhere, all at once. To be, I think, coming out in March if schedules hold correctly, which who knows if they will. But uh, looking forward to that one. Okay. So, yeah. All right. That sounds really interesting. Um, <laughs> I do have some films, I will say, that I'm... The most kind of most looking forward to. I couldn't really narrow it down. You have more than one. Okay. Yeah, I'm just going to hit these real quick. Um, But of the three, which one am I the most excited for? Well, two of the three are purely um, just going franchise Uh, uh, favorites, things I'm looking forward to. So I am looking forward to Matt Reeves, the Batman coming out in March. Sure. That just has the potential to be really, really interesting. And sure. I like the marketing they've done for the film so far. The tone, Where do you fall down on the whole Riddler costume, Alan? Are you pro well, Riddler I, costume or anti Riddler costume? You um, haven't seen it. What I've seen, it, I haven't seen the latest trailer. I've refused to watch new I trailers. I haven't seen the latest trailer, but I've seen apparently a screen grab or something. Oh, really? Or maybe a promotional photo oh, that I they did of the costume. It. Caused all sorts of buzz there again on Twitter. Um, mm. I, I think it's good but yeah. <laughs> some don't. I like the tone they're taking with the film okay. overall it has a very noir film it has a, a tone to it so far from what I've seen again it's all just been snippets and trailers at this point but um I'm interested to see what happens with that film because I'm, I'm a fan of the character and I would like to see what they do with it after um after we had the trilogy from uh uh Nolan you know several years ago this being kind of the next reboot of that I'm just plus anything to get the Ben Affleck Batman out of my taste out of my mouth i'm fine with as well um (laughs) and then also you're going to roll your eyes on this and i know this is a real film it is actually coming out even though it it was supposed to come out no no No. it was supposed to come out like two years ago and it's finally coming out it's top gun maverick oh yeah yeah uh, see there's the eye roll that's what uh, i was looking for (laughs) i'm just 
I'm interested. I'm excited. Right now, that will be my biggest surprise of 2022 if I actually like Maverick. Could be. Could be. I'm just saying. I I think the fact that there's so much mystique around the film now that it's like, even to the point where some of the actors have had to go online and be like, "No, we promise, we did make this this movie. It actually exists. We did did film this. Um, It's supposed to come out, I think, in May now. So we'll see. Uh, Outside of that, okay. If I want to put aside the big tent pole things, the one I will say. We actually showed the trailer of it, I think, in our last episode. Okay. It is uh, The Northman. Oh, okay. Uh, that is the one that's probably, the more I've just read and thought about it and thought about the director and thought about what I saw in the trailer, I'm the most probably excited about. I was going to pull it up here real quick. Um, that's uh, Robert Eggers. Robert right? Eggers, yeah. starring Alexander Skarsgård and a Taylor Joy. Uh, it is a kind of historical action drama, but yet looks like it has a lot more going on in it as well. That's probably the one I'm truly the most excited about just from a true, like I want to see a good film. Gotcha. Anxious to see, because even though the lighthouse didn't work for me, I can admire it because I thought it was creative and sure. Really, really well produced. I just, you know, the story and, and following it didn't, I just wasn't able to do it, but I really love the witch I thought that was a great movie. So I'm excited to see where he goes with something that has seems to have more action and adventure to it, but yet I want it to be also very strange and different. (laughs) And I think it may pull that off. So sure. So that's the Northman is the probably truly my most anticipated film now. So cool. All right, Chris. Um, Well, we're about done. That wraps up 2021. But let's real quickly, do we have any recommendations we want to sure. make for the audience on things? You go ahead, because honestly, I don't know if I've got one for this okay. episode. Fair I think enough. I'm tapped out on films. <laughs> we have mentioned a that lot. That I've watched in the last few weeks. I don't know if I have anything new to recommend. So let's at least give them one recommendation if you've got something to share. Sure. So I'm going to recommend a film that a lot of people would consider for, uh, it's a 2020 film, but it came out, I guess, uh, in 2021. Uh, I caught up with it on Hulu. But it is The Killing of Two Lovers by uh, director Robert Machowin. Not really sure how you say his last name. But uh, it tells a story of a family. And uh, David desperately tries to keep his family of six together during a separation with his wife. Uh, They both agree to see other people. But David struggles to grapple with his wife's new relationship. Uh, the director of this was a director of God Bless the Child, which we showed at the Foot Candle Film Festival a couple of years back. And I hadn't really kept up with the uh, director's work since then. But this film, I thought, was really strong. Um, God Bless the Child was more of a observational-type film. Didn't have a strong, like story or plot necessarily, but it was still really interesting what he did following some children around. This film definitely has a story arc. Um, and the acting, especially from the guy who plays David, Clayne Crawford, was uh, really strong. Um, the sound design and the score of this film are very jarring and unsettling and really help move the film along. And I don't think something as noticeable to me since, like, let's go back to, like, what Hans Zimmer did with uh, The Dark Knight. or mm-hmm. you know, Because... You know how that movie just set you on on edge. You know the whole yeah. time with the Joker and everything. It really just it was kind of like a supporting character. Same type thing with this, which is impressive for me for such a small film. Uh, but film again is uh, Killing of Two Lovers. It's on Hulu, so if you have that, you can uh, see it for free. But yeah. uh, that's my recommendation. I'm glad you brought this up when you did because I 
until you told me about it a couple days ago, I didn't even know it existed. And I was a big fan of God Bless the Child, a film we showed at our festival a couple years ago or a few years ago. So yeah, very excited to see a, a, a kind of a, uh, bigger budget and more uh, dramatic uh, you know, acting involved instead of more of the documentary style kind of just fly on the wall uh, narrative that we had before. So I'm excited to see this film now. So thanks for the recommendation. Sure. And I'm sorry, I don't have one. I just honestly, <laughs> I have not seen anything outside of what we've talked about in the last few weeks. And, Fair uh, enough. Can't uh, quite go through my my library to see what I would recommend from the past that I haven't already. So, uh, give me a couple more weeks. I'm sure I'll have a good recommendation for us next time as there well. There you go. All right. Well, Chris, that wraps it up. We are officially done with 2021. We've got a lot of great movies come out in 2022 that we'll be discussing over the course of the year. Um, if anybody has any feedback on our top fives or anything, or even our review of The Matrix earlier in the episode. How can they get a hold of us and, and share those with us? You can send us an email to info at footcandle.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. Al and I are both on Letterboxd where we try to track what we're seeing and sometimes leave short reviews. Do us a favor. Uh, if you like the show, which we hope you do, give us a star rating or write a review or share with friends in iTunes to help us reach new listeners. Uh, we'd appreciate it. We're also available on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. All right. Not, last but not least, one more thing. Oh, yeah. uh, Foot Candle Film Festival is now accepting submissions for the 2022 festival, which will be held September 21st through the 25th. Uh, if you can submit before May 1st, you'll save yourself some cash. The final deadline is June 1st for submissions. All right. There we go. Lots of ways to connect with us. And of course, looking forward to the festival coming up later this year as well. All right, Chris. Well, with that, I think we're time to wrap this up. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and look forward to talking to you next time when we release our next episode. Until then, take care. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.